Well, good morning, church. It is good to gather together and and worship our great God, even as as there are storms, literal and metaphorical. Uh, Man, I I hope you're praying for our our friends, a couple hour drive to the west of us as they look at this impending storm. Um, And uh, boy, let's remember in prayer our, our um, our, our men and women in uniform who are, are, are still bravely um, trying to get, the, uh, uh, get folks who are in harm's way out of Afghanistan uh, and as they seek to, uh, to try to wind that down and, and try to uh, uh, get to the final phases of this, of this um, airlift, uh, that can be extremely dangerous. Um, let's pray for them. And, and of course, we know that um, we've got a more Spartan group here this morning. Many of you are home right now. Some of you are really sick. Uh, some of you have been exposed and so just have to try to protect others by, by doing your part to, uh, to do the quarantine thing. I just want to say we miss you. Um, if you're sitting at home, in, in our mind's eye, we see you and uh, we, we, you're part of our body. We love you. And we are praying for you who are sick. Know that the elders constantly daily pray for you and uh, many others in the church do, do as well. So as we get into this subject this morning, the danger of drift Let me ask you a question. What does Harvard University and the YMCA and VeggieTales have in common? Christian starts. That's right. Um, They all began as strong evangelical Christian organizations whose goal was to propagate the gospel. And they drifted from their initial mission and in some cases their Christ-centered identity. Today, Harvard University doesn't look at all, not even an iota, like the vision of its founders. Now, there's a guy named Peter Greer and another guy named Chris Horst who wrote a book titled Mission Drift. If anybody's interested in that, I'll have it setting right up here. You can kind of thumb through it if you like. And they argue that all Christian organizations, including churches, naturally tend towards mission drift over time. But with intentionality and hard work, it's possible to stay mission true, true to the mission that they began with. So they, they urge Christian organizations to endeavor to stay mission true. They write, in its simplest form, mission true organizations know why they exist and protect their core at all costs. They remain faithful to what they believe God has entrusted them to do. They define what is immutable, their values and purposes, their DNA, their heart and soul, end quote. Now, as a, as a church, the, the most strategic and important way that we stay mission true is to stay true to the Word of God. That, that means to, to trust the Word of God, to, to study the Word of God, and to obey it, right? I mean, it does no good if we just do a bunch of information transfer here, but we don't make disciples, right? If we don't obey it, we're, we're just a bunch of liars, right? So to stay mission true, that, that's one of the reasons why we do Sunday school. 
That's why I preach from the word going, going expositionally. So we make sure that I'm actually saying, and your job as members, as Bereans, is to study the word to make sure that I am declaring to you what God's word says. And I'm doing my best to unpack that as opposed to kind of, you know, let's, let's figure out what I just talk about on Sunday morning. So that's important. And in our text this morning, the, the, the author of Hebrews, who I call mystery man, because we really don't know who wrote it, okay? He, he warns us of the danger of spiritual drift. So let's look again at verse one of, of what Pastor Joshua read for us this morning. Mystery man says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. So we're to beware. This is a warning. We're to beware spiritual drift. And so we must pay close attention to what we've heard. So, so what is he talking about, what we've heard? Well, all of the last chapter, which begins with the supremacy of Christ, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. We've got to endeavor to pay attention to that lest we drift. Have you, have you ever been out in a boat and the engine failed? And, and maybe you, you spent some time trying to restart your engine. And during that time, you are no longer in control of where you're going. But begin, be, you, you began to be subject to the, the whims of other elements like the wind and the tide that decided where you were going. Well, that, that was an experience of drift. I, I, I remember right after Tim was born in Sharjah in the Emirates, we actually had to leave the UAE for a visa run. And so we, we, we drove a couple hours over to Oman uh, and it, it, that was right next door. And we had to be there for a day or two. And so I took the opportunity to go scuba diving. Um, there, there was, there, there, on the, the, it's called the Musandam Peninsula. So if you look at a map, um, this is a little section of Oman that juts out uh, into the Strait of Hormez, right across from Iran. All right. And so it's actually separated from the, the mainland of Oman by the United Arab Emirates. And so it's a very, very Spartan. I mean, there, there's maybe back then there may be a couple thousand people, if that, living in the Musandam Peninsula. But it, they call it the Fjords of Arabia. It's just this beautiful uh, area of, of sea cliffs and, and all these little fingers of, of water that kind of come in. And there's some amazing virgin diving in, the, in those waters. So at the time, there was just like one operator, I think, who had one boat. And now it's grown, as I understand, some resorts have popped up. But so I went out there uh, one day and, and went scuba diving with about four other people, I think, three or four other people. And it was just, a, I mean, it was a great, beautiful, pristine dive that few people had done. But it was a high current dive, uh, a, a drift dive. Okay, so we had to really stay together. And one of us had a, had a long, we went down about 100 feet. One of us had a, a cord attached with a flag on top. Because we popped up about a mile from where we went down. Okay, we had significantly drifted during that dive. And it was quite interesting to drift that fast. I had never moved that quickly underwater. So you really had to stay close to each other uh, so you didn't get isolated, get lost. 
And, you know, you really had to make sure that, fl- hope that that flag stayed attached so when you popped up, the boat was there to pick you up. And, and they were. So what was interesting was when we got back in the boat and, and, and they'd, they'd cut the engine off, you know, while we were getting on, they tried to fire the engine up and the engine wouldn't start. And so we began to drift all the more. We actually drifted out of the fjord. And I mentioned before, this is the Strait of Hormos, okay? Um, so there were only a few miles from where we were in Omani water and what the Iranians claim to be their water. And it's not a great idea to drift into uh, Iranian waters. Other people have done that and it didn't go well for them. Okay, so we're floating along and the guys are getting a little more animated trying to get the boat going. And uh, eventually they didn't get it started, but they had radio contact and another boat came along and, and towed us back in. Okay, the point is, of the story, is that drift can be dangerous. And we need to remember that in the Christian life, there is no neutral position. You're, you're never just sitting still in the Christian life. You're, you're either moving forward, and, and let's just, since, since Paul gave, or sorry, it wasn't Paul, mystery man, gave us this nautical illustration. Let's just kind of go with it, okay? So think about a paddleboard. Some of you guys or, or ladies might like to get out there on paddleboards. And, and so on a paddleboard, particularly in the wind or in the, in, in, the, in the currents, you are never just sitting still. You're either moving forward with some effort or you are getting pushed back by the currents or by the, by the wind. And so in the Christian race of endurance, you're either moving forward, becoming more like Jesus, or you're, you're drifting. You might get tired, or you might get distracted, but you're, you're drifting. We need to remember that when we're, when we're drifting, it means that we lose forward control. And, and we become subject to the currents wherever they may be taking us. And often that is to a dangerous place. Often it's to a dangerous place. It might be to a shoal of rocks, right? If you're on a river, it may really be taking you to a dangerous place, right? Um, I remember years ago as a young rafting guide on a, on a, in an inflatable kayak getting pushed by a current to a place that I really did not want to go. And that was underneath a felled tree, okay? Very dangerous situation. So drifting is dangerous. Now, We need to talk for a moment about currents. There are currents in our lives. What what kind of currents may pull you away from Jesus Christ? Well, I want to just suggest three for you, and I'm sure you could think of some others, but three named currents. And the first would be the current of time, the the current of time. It it may be that, that God saved you and you experienced him what it was like to be a new creation in Christ, to actually have the eyes of your heart like opened up, to be able to imagine his majesty and to, to walk with the joy of a clean conscience and, and to, to, to experience a, a relationship with the, the almighty of the universe who made you and loved you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that was awesome. But maybe it's been a lot of time for some of you since that happened. And maybe it's been a long time since you've been passionate 
for Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been passionate for anything. And you've forgotten what the joy of salvation looks like. Now, part of the current of time that would seek to pull us away from Christ is busyness. You know, before VeggieTales drifted, they, they had a really great song. Maybe you remember this, and I probably shouldn't even try to sing it um, for your sake. But you remember the song, Busy? Busy, busy, dreadfully busy. Remember that? And it's, it's, it's stupid characters dancing around, talking about their how they're way too busy for somebody. They, you know, they, they put all this time into singing about how busy they are. Much too busy for you is how it ends. I'm much too busy for you. And I wonder if God hears us singing that song to him when he looks at our lives, the song and dance of our lives. And as he sees what we actually invest a lot of our time in. Maybe you bring your Bible to church, but the truth is you really haven't cracked it for real devotions in a long time. You haven't really spent time, heart time, with the Lord. And so the current of time is pulling you away from Christ. And, and the problem with the current of time is that it has an effect upon the temperature of our hearts. And so the second current would be that of temperature. And what I mean by that is spiritual lukewarmity. That, 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 that passion for the gospel, that passion for knowing God was long ago. And so maybe you've gotten so familiar with the content of the gospel. Maybe you've reduced the majesty and the mystery of the gospel to this little formula. And so you think that you fully understand it, which is really dumb. All right. None of us fully grasps all the mystery of the gospel. None of us speak. We, angels marvel at the gospel. The fact that, that God could become man and he could sovereignly control the atomic structure of the universe while he's learning to read. While he's, <laughs> you know, the logos who, who created language learns to speak. Explain that one to me. How can God die? And, and that this, this servant, how, how can the, the majesty, the one who made all things, the conqueror who will come that way, come as a, as a servant and give himself as a, as a ransom for, for many? How can he know the thoughts of all people and still love them? There's a lot to the gospel that I don't even begin to fully grasp. But maybe, maybe you've reduced it to a formula and you think that's just old hat and so your heart has become lukewarm well Jesus has a thing to say about that in Revelation chapter 3 verse 15 he says I know your works you're neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot I will vomit you out of my mouth that's what the real Greek word says not spit the, the ESV people tried to tone it down a little bit. So at a church level, one indicator of lukewarmity is when we stop defining success 
as God-centered worship and making disciples. And we start defining it by things like programs or, or facilities and, and, you know, money, numbers. That's one indicator, and there's plenty of others, I'm sure. So there's the current of time. There's the current of temperature. There's also the current of temptation. Other competing, distracting affections that would seek to, to overwhelm or, or distract us from that love for Jesus Christ. And, and you know, these, these temptations might be actually good things. Good things. Like, like family. But if, if, if we let them become more important to us than Jesus Christ, they may become idols. Maybe work. Well, work is a good thing. God designed work before the fall for mankind. But if, if, if that becomes my identity, it's where I find my significance becomes more important than Jesus Christ, that could become an idol. Exercise, pleasure. You know, God designed us for pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing, but if we start worshiping pleasure instead of Christ, it can become an idol. And of course, there are plenty of bad things that will often pull us away from Jesus Christ. Ungodly entertainment. Sexual sin. The affections that somebody is, is putting on us, stoking maybe our, a wounded ego, maybe from someone who's not our spouse, that would potentially lead us away from that first love. Lowercase f, because capital F is Jesus, if you're in him. But that person, that spouse that you promised your heart to and your life to, maybe you start looking somewhere else for affection, and that's illicit. It's, it's wicked. But boy, that can be a current of temptation to pull us away. Well, these currents are pulling us, or, or maybe you could say pushing us, towards danger. Are you starting to drift away from your affection for Jesus, from your commitment to the gospel, from your obedience to his mission? Maybe your heart's even becoming cold towards your beloved spouse. Well, brothers and sisters, drifting is not safe. We, we all need to guard our hearts from drift. And, and the way to do that is to simply focus your eyes back on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and dip that paddle in the water again and start paddling. That's how you stopped drifting. So we need to beware drift. But also we need to beware, and this is related, this is point number two, beware neglecting salvation. Look at verse two. And by that it means beware neglecting your salvation. Beware neglecting the, the gospel. And certainly if you're not a believer, like if you have never truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're like, hey, I'm gonna get to that later, that's dangerous, okay? Don't do that because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But here he's really specifically talking to those who claim to have experienced salvation, okay? And so he's warning all of us not to drift away from the gospel. Now, now Paul, not mystery man, author of Hebrews, but Paul has some strong words to say about drifting away from the gospel. 
In, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said this. And now, now get the, this guy's writing this to people. He's pretty direct. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And boy, that could be all kinds of things. That could be the prosperity gospel. That could be the social gospel. It could be a syncretism of the gospel with our politics that might, might get us five degrees off course, but over time, five degrees off course gets you really off course. He says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's strong words right there. He's saying, let, let him go to hell. That's what he's saying. That's what it means. Let him be damned. That's a strong word. He's saying, don't let anybody, if an angel, if me, nobody, don't let anyone seek to push you away from the true gospel. But now in our text this morning, Mystery Man is not talking about outright denial of the gospel. He's talking about slow drift away from the gospel. He's talking about neglect. That means taking the gospel of Jesus Christ for granted. So look at verse 2 of our text. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people, who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? That was his observation. I think it's an astute observation. And before we consider that a little bit more, uh, the danger of neglecting, and this argument that Paul's making, <laughs> Paul, Mystery man, I keep saying Paul, forgive me. It's not Paul, we don't think. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not him. Um, uh, the writer of Hebrews, mystery man. Okay, uh, before we look into the, the actual line of argumentation that he makes here, um, what's up here with this message declared by angels? Okay, I don't know if you that kind of caught that and you thought that sounds strange. Well, the message declared by angels that he's referring to is actually the Mosaic law. The Old Testament law. And, and you might say, well, wait a minute. When I read the Old Testament, I don't see angels giving the law to Moses. I see God doing it. Well, the first century Jews believed, and, and we have intra and extra biblical evidence for this, that first century Jews clearly believed that God used angels in the process of giving his law to Moses. And, and they looked back to De Deuteronomy chapter 33, in which Moses actually recounted God's revealing himself and giving his law at Sinai. So Deuteronomy 33, 2 says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hands. Now that, 
10,000 of holy ones is talking about angels. It's a reference to angels. Now, that's not quite enough to, to, to maybe make it clear that God actually transmitted at least a good bit of the law through angels to Moses. Um, but several New Testament writers actually specifically tell us that's what happened. That God used angels in the process of delivering his law in the Old Testament. Like Paul in Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. He, he writes, why then the law? And this is part of a much greater argument Paul is making as he's talking about the relationship of the law to the gospel. But he says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Well, I never saw that before. Similarly, in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, during Stephen's famous um, uh, sermon, they got him stoned. Okay? Uh, Stephen condemned the Jews for transgressing God's law. And he actually said, verse 53, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now here in verse 2 it says, for since the message declared by angels. Now, now, now that word by, I believe, could better be translated through. Declared through angels. Because the law was clearly given to Moses by God. But through these texts we see that he actually used angels. It was given by God through angels in some way as his means of communication. So let's not get too distracted by the, the angel's comment here. Okay, Evidently, God used them in the transmission process of giving his law to Israel in the Old Testament. But what's going on here? The force of the argument. What, what mystery man is trying to say here, he's using a lesser to greater argument. He's saying since members of the Old Covenant were judged, and they were, you read the Old Testament, you read a lot of judgment when people transgressed God's law. He took it seriously. He, he's a holy God. So since they were judged for their disobedience to the message of angels, how much more will we be judged if we neglect the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, Pastor Kent Hughes explains. He writes that the, the, the writer, that would be Mystery Man, wants to drive this point home in an even more forceful way to his wondering friends. So he uses a Hebrew argument style called kal vahomer, which literally means light and heavy, which employs reasoning that if something is true in a light or lesser thing, it's true in a heavy or greater thing. If, if, the, if the word of the law that was mediated by angels was so binding that every infraction was punished, then how much more accountable are those who have the word of salvation direct from Christ's lips? Plus the confirmation of eyewitnesses. Plus the testimony of miracles, signs, wonders, and gifts. Thus, the weighty question of our text, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now this is the first of five warnings that are given to us throughout the book of Hebrews. We're going to see some more later in chapter 3 and 6, 10, and, and 12. And so here's the question. 
how shall we neglect or how shall we how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation is 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 mystery man then saying that a christian can lose his or her salvation let you think about that for a minute we we need to think about at least the weight of the question how shall we that would be he's writing to christians escape if we neglect such a great salvation is that implying that you could neglect it and drift away to a point where you lose it could that happen to you well the answer has to be and clearly is in light of the totality of scripture no okay jesus christ said all that the father gives to me will come to me and he who comes to me i will never cast out right he has the power to protect his elect his those who have put their faith in him we, there, there's a, a, the, the, the totality of scripture points towards the security of the believer okay being confident of this very thing that he who began a work in you will complete it until the day of jesus christ so no but the warning against drift and against neglect is the means by which God keeps us saved. Does that make sense? It's through perseverance. It's it's through endurance. But what would you tell an Afghan Christian right now who didn't get out, who's stuck in country, who can expect a significant increase in persecution? What would you tell them? Would you tell them it's okay to to, to, to renounce Jesus so that your family doesn't get hurt? So they don't do something to your wife or your kids? I, I hope you would tell them and encourage them and say, don't give up. Endure in faith to the end. More important than how you start is how you finish. You gotta keep running your race. And so these warnings are how God protects True believers, because there will be plenty who say in the final day, the final judgment, Lord, Lord, I mean, hey, I, I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer and Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because they did not endure in faith. They did not demonstrate that their faith was real because real faith, true faith endures. It's deep. It's deeper than just intellectual assent. It's that. But it's a heart commitment that continues to fight. We, we fail. There are times we fall off our paddleboard. We get back on it and we keep paddling. And that's why we're exhorted at the end of, not the very end of Hebrews, but in Hebrews chapter 12, towards the end, we read, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. True faith endures. And so the writer here, mystery man, wants us to be sure of the gospel. To be sure of the gospel. And that's, that's what verse three and, and four are all about. The gospel is the real deal. It's a great salvation. It's the difference between eternal damnation and eternal life. And you can bet your soul on it. 
he says. And so he says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the gospel was declared by Jesus. This isn't something that his disciples just made up to try to start a new religion. It's something Jesus said, who, by the way, according to Mystery Man's argument here, is greater than the angels. Okay, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was exclusive. He said, I am the way. In other places, he said, I'm, I'm the gate. I'm the door. I am the way, not a way. So the gospel was declared by Jesus. It was attested by witnesses. And it was authenticated by power, God's power, all kinds of miracles. The greatest being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see it was attested to by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all Christians. So this text here reminds me of something Paul wrote to the Corinthians in which he didn't want them to give up on believing in the gospel either. Some of them were starting to say that, that well, maybe, resu- maybe you know, some of them were becoming actually naturalists and denying the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Believing in vain is for people who, who start out They're like that that rocky soil that Jesus talked about. They start out with some joy, but their faith proves not to be true because they don't endure. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the gospel was authenticated. First of all, again, as, as Mystery Man tells us, it was, it, was, uh, it was actually spoken, declared by Jesus. And it was, it was attested by witnesses who, who saw him after he rose from the dead, by, by many who saw him after he rose from the dead. And it was witnessed by, by, and evidenced by all kinds of miracles. And then finally, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and according to Jesus, it was actually the, the power and the confidence that the Holy Spirit that brought the church that enabled them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth in the face of all kinds of daunting persecution. So here's our, here's our conclusion, right? We, we've got two warnings here. Beware of drift. Beware of neglect of your salvation. Don't, don't think that I can just sit still and, and not, not tend to the, the fire of, of faith in my heart. Okay? Um, and and we're, we're, we're assured to, that we should be sure of the truth of the gospel. That this isn't just a fantasy. This is the fundamental reality that should, should mark our life that you can live for and you can even be willing to die for. So how should we then live? How should we 
What should we do about this? How should we change our lives tomorrow, right? What should we be doing when we walk out of here? Well, I just want to agree with David that uh, I really enjoyed coming together with some of my brothers yesterday for the men's prayer breakfast. Um, Billy Moore, thank you, brother, um, for reminding us of our responsibility to, to lead our families. Uh, in doing so, he, uh, spiritually leading our families, having devotions with our families, that was awesome yesterday. And I really enjoyed the discussion I had at my table with a couple brothers. Um, and Billy Moore reminded us of the Jewish Shema, of, of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and how there were to be markers of faith. Markers to be worn on the forehead even, right? To be kind of bound around the hands and the wrist and, and to, to be put, to be tacked onto the, 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 the front of, of homes so that followers of Yahweh would not forget and drift. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the totality of your being. God doesn't want your leftovers. Okay, He didn't just want a couple hours on Sunday morning. He designed you to have a relationship with him. He wants all of you. And he gives you himself through Christ. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That means that we should be having gospel-oriented conversations with each other. Like when we're hanging around after church, right? Not just about sports or the hurricane or current events, but gospel-saturated conversations, right? And, and all, we should talk about those things, but they should be saturated with the gospel. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Why do you think God gave them this idea of, of kind of a ridiculous-looking, what we call phylacteries, right? So we wouldn't forget, because we forget. We drift. That's what we do. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates, he said. Now, now maybe the truth is, you haven't been doing that. Maybe the Lord hasn't been your priority as of late. Maybe you haven't been putting his word on the doorpost of your heart. Maybe you haven't been teaching the gospel to your children. And you've begun to drift. Well, let's go back to the nautical metaphor of the boat. Okay, but instead of a, a paddleboard this time, uh, imagine you're in a little fishing boat. Maybe, maybe you, you threw an anchor a long time ago and you started fishing. And you're just kind of sitting out there. And, and, and you're, you're, you're not really thinking about the anchor anymore. You're just thinking about fishing. And you've, you've gotten distracted. And the anchor has come off of the rock or the coral reef or whatever it was holding on to, let's say a rock, of the seabed. Here's the point. Those who have shocked us or disappointed us, by walking away from their families and giving their heart affections to somebody else or have walked away from their faith into apostasy usually didn't get there overnight. Okay? People normally do not lose their faith in a nanosecond. 
They probably didn't go up there with a knife and, and cut the anchor line. Or tug at it really hard to get it off that rock and then go back to fishing and just drift. It, it started earlier with a number of small compromises and it began with the distraction of the affections of their heart. From the rock, from the best, to something else. And they didn't even notice that they were drifting. So, so the rock on the seafloor for your anchor is Christ. And, and there are going to be some hard times coming. We have storms out there right now. And, and some of those storms, you may be at home right now, and maybe they're affecting you right now. If not, you will be affected by a storm in your life at some point. And here's the deal. If your anchor isn't firmly dug into the rock, when that storm comes, your boat is going to drift. And it's going to drift hard into all kinds of danger. Now, if your anchor is dug into the rock, you know what that storm's gonna do? You know what those, that the pull of the currents are gonna do? They're gonna dig that anchor in deeper. So let's make sure that our anchor is on the rock. Let's end here with just a couple thoughts of Christ. Let's set our mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's worthy of our vision. He's worthy of our thoughts. He's supremely worthy of our affection and our faith. And, and he's the one that, that we're following. He's our hero. He's the one that we're paddling after. May we, may we do so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to give himself for us, to rescue us from our sins, that through faith we may have eternal life and a, and a relationship with you. And I pray that you would give us, through your spirit, the power to endure. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room who knows you, that they would continue the, the, the good fight of faith, that they would keep paddling forward, uh, following you, not drifting. And Lord, I, I pray if there's anyone in this room who has always been drifting, who has never truly known you. I pray that today would be the day that, that they would repent from their sins and, and put their faith in Christ and that you would, you would put them in your boat. And in the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.